Um, please turn with me to Hosea chapter 7. Um, we try to uh, work through books of the Bible. Those of you who are visiting with us, we've been working through uh, the book of Hosea, one of the largest minor prophets. We've been able to go through and we've found ourselves in, in Hosea chapter 7. And so we're going to continue with that. We try to preach expositionally through the books of the Bible. And so we're going to continue with that. And maybe when you were visiting with us, you might have saw Hebrews. Uh, Pastor Kurt is on sabbatical, and he's working through Hebrews. He wanted me to tell everyone that um, he missed you guys, and he wanted me to say hi. And so I'm sure you missed him too as well. And so I'll, I'll let him know those sentiments also. So I want to begin just briefly with an introduction before we read the text of Scripture for us this morning. So I have a question. So have you ever been in a situation where you wanted to help someone? You really wanted to help someone. You wanted to be able to help them because of the concerns that you had. Um, but... What made it difficult for you to help them was because of the strong deception that had overcome them. It didn't matter what you said um, because they were so deceived that they were blinded to truth and to the reality of the situation. We can relate to, to that. In many cases, when that happens, we can't connect with God because our sins are deceiving us. And we have either found ourselves in those circumstances or we've been engaged with others that have been overcome with deception. Many cases, we found ourselves buying into the lie rather than believing in God. And it takes those who are concerned. It takes those who doesn't mind the backlash that may come from it. But what's helpful is, is guiding the person back to the truth or to the real issues at hand. And so on today, we're considering this idea of how deception can cause us or lead us into sin, which would then not allow us to be able to, at least from immediate standpoint, to repent and come to the Lord. So um, the question I have to ask is, what sins cause you to be easily Deceived. We all have weaknesses. We all have difficulties. And um, there are things that if we're not careful, we can become blindsided. So what, what sins cause you to be blind to the spiritual realities surrounding you? These are the kinds of questions we should ponder as we consider the text this morning. Let's continue learning from those who have gone before us. 
We want to think of the word of God. Those who have gone before us have been led by God, have been directed by God. But those who have gone before us have also sinned against God. And we've found how God have dealt with them. We, we, we can relate in a sense because of how God deals with us. And so let us ponder this idea this morning. Let us continue to learn. We ought to engage with the text in such a way to know what it says, but we also want to know what the text is saying to us. So please follow along with me as I read today's passage from Hosea chapter 7. Hear now the word of the living God. When I would heal Israel, the iniquity of Ephraim is revealed, and the evil deeds of Samaria, for they deal falsely. The thief breaks in, the bandits raid outside. But they do not consider that I remember all their evil. Now their deeds surround them. They are before my face. By their evil, they make the king glad, and the princes by their treachery. They are all adulterers. They are like a heated oven, whose baker ceases to stir the fire from the kneading of the dough until it is leavened. On the day of our king, the princess became sick. With the heart of wine, he stretched out his hand with mockers. For with hearts like an oven, they approach their intrigue. All night, their anger smolders. In the morning, it blazes like a flaming fire. All of them are hot as an oven, and they devour their rulers. Or their kings have fallen, and none of them calls upon me. Ephraim mixes himself with the peoples. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Strangers devour his strength, and he knows it not. Gray hairs are sprinkled upon him, and he knows it not. The pride of Israel testifies to his face, yet they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all this. Ephraim is like a dove, silly and without sense. Calling to Egypt, going to Assyria. As they go, I will spread over them my net, and I will bring them down like birds of the heavens. I will discipline them according to the report made to their congregation. Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction to them. For they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. They do not cry to me from the heart, but they wail upon their beds for grain and wine. They gash themselves. They rebel against me. Although 
I trained and strengthened their arms, yet they devised evil against me. They return, but not upward. They are like a treacherous bow. Their princes shall fail by, shall fall by the sword because of the insolence of their tongue. They shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. Let us pray to the Lord our God. Lord God, we pray for your guidance, for your help. We pray, Lord, that as we consider the text this morning, we pray that you would speak to us your word. May your word penetrates, penetrate our hearts that when, when we might leave here, we might leave a changed people. Lord God, clear our minds of idle thoughts. Help us to focus on you and you alone. Speak to us, O oh God. Speak to our circumstances, our concerns, the difficulties we face in life, Lord, remind us of the hope that we have in the Christ, the Savior of the world. Help us, Lord, that we might repent where repentance is needed, that we might praise where praise is needed. Help us to honor you, O God, in the name of the Christ, the Son, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I've entitled today's sermon, What Sins Cause You to Be Easily Deceived? Uh, another way of saying the same thing is, um, are your sins causing spiritual blindness? One might say, could you be blinded to the spiritual reality surrounding you. In this chapter, you find that there are similarities to chapter 5. But the difference, I believe, in this chapter points more to the long-lasting deception of sin and the deceptive nature that connects all sin. We must guard against all deception because ultimately it leads to all kinds of sin. So the points I'd like for us to consider is God remembers unconfessed sin. God remembers unconfessed sins, verses 1 through 7, uh, verses 8 through 12, no one can escape God's punishment apart from Christ. And lastly, verses 13 through 16, sin without repentance only leads to judgment. So let's begin with point number one. God remembers unconfessed sin. In verse one, the text says, when I would heal Israel. The Lord here has every intention to heal his people, but they were 
unwilling to receive God's help. He was constantly aware of and exposed to their sins, but he was willing to assist and restore his people if and when they obeyed his commands. So the qualifier was obedience. We also see the Lord's desire for his people in the New Testament in Matthew 23, which also shows the aftermath of Israel. In verse 37, the Lord says in Matthew 23, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. We see the desire. We see the the compassion. We see God's wanting to restore his people. Also, according to Luke 19, 42, the Lord wanted his people to realize that the peace of God awaited them. If they would repent, turn to him and be saved. He loved them so much that he wept for them, but because of their wickedness, they would not believe. Israelite people took every opportunity it had to sin against God. Of all of God's goodness, all of God's kindnesses and love, they turned their backs, continuing in sin. The text continues on to say the iniquity of Ephraim is revealed. And the evil deeds of Samaria, for they deal falsely. The thief breaks in and the bandits raid outside. To say it another way, God could have said, I would heal Israel, but my people have sinned greatly and they are still sinning. The people forgot the commands of God. Their knowledge of him begin to slowly but surely vanish away. Instead of loving God, loving his word, instead of hating what God hates, they begin loving those things that God hates, and they remained in sin. Do you love what God loves? Or do you have a list of things that you love, that God loves? There's no middle ground. God says we're either for him, and that means all the way, or against him. So these are the challenges that we have to continue to face on a regular basis because we're going to be pulled. It's going to look as if it's greener on the other side. And so real change, real transformation, when it happens, it keeps us planted in God. 
But here we see a different perspective. We see a different response to the word of God. The people forgot the command of God. Their knowledge of him continues to wash away. And so we have to continue learning and ask ourselves, are we satisfied with the things that offends God? Are we comfortable with offending God? This ought to be concern for us because this affects our communion with God. We ought to take upon the character and likeness of God, but we should not be found practicing in sin. And we need to be reminded of this because the danger of us not reminding ourselves of the sinful nature we carry, we can find ourselves falling again into sin. God hates sin, and we want to begin to have the mind of God, to grow in the knowledge of God. And God hates sin because God is holy. And God says to us, be ye holy, for I am holy. God is not only holy, but he's just and righteous. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to the Lord, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. You see, God is perfect. Sin corrupts everything. Jesus, our Lord, is the sinless Savior. Let's consider for a moment a few passages that describes this idea. First Peter 2.22 says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And so therefore, there is no deception of any kind with God. None can be found in the mouth of God. And then in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it states, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because God is holy, we likewise must be holy. This is our call. However, in verse 2, the text states how Israel chose to neglect God's all-knowing power. They chose to ignore the character of God. The text says, but they do not consider that I remember all their evil. Now their deeds surround them. They are before my face. It's not beneficial to forget God's all-knowing power. Because the fact that we forget who God is, we can find ourselves enjoying and practicing sin unto no end. But when we recognize the character of God, 
his all-knowing power that we can deal with sin right away. We can confess sin. We can repent and be placed back in right standing with God. It's not helpful. It's not helpful to sin in the face of God. Because who can deliver us out of his hand? It's a foolish practice, but yet people do it all the time in the presence of the ever-knowing God. And so this is the kind of sensitivity we want to begin to nurture in ourselves that we might become uh, who God would have us to be taking upon his nature because we're following the principles that is found in the scripture. And that's not something we do on our own, but it's solely independent of God's spirit who is at work in us. And so, who can truly deny this truth? That God is an all-knowing God. The scripture teaches us that no one can. According to Romans 1.20, the text says, for his invisible attributes, nameless, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. All of creation reveals to all generations that God is real. They can never excuse themselves by saying, I didn't know. This text says that they are without excuse. And everyone will one day have to stand before a holy and righteous God and account for the life that they've lived. A life that was seen before God. A life that was practiced before God. It's really Ridiculous that the people of God failed to remember him after all he had done for them. This is a reminder to us that we can so easily be like them if we're not conscientious to what God has done for us. If we're not reminded of the goodness of God. And so this is a warning sign for us. To look back to the things that God has done for us. And so we can relate to this because oftentimes we forget God and fail to do what he has commanded us. And we beat ourselves up because we have failed again, which causes us to have to run to the Savior, reminding us that he did the work for us and we have hope in him and that we are safe in him and that he has done the work and he shall complete the work. Reminded of this idea of grace. And so, even though we may struggle at times, even though we may forget him, but at no time, in no way, does God ever forget us. 
That's the confidence we're able to stand on. And so what a, what a loving and kind God he is. Uh, throughout the book of Hosea, we are continuously learning about the depth of God's love for a people who did not love him. We see this story how the people of God turns their back on God, but God still pursues them out of a divine love. And that's, that's the beauty of the gospel. We are fortunate to have come to the knowledge of God. For that, we can say glory be to God. We must keep in mind that God knows all things. Sin brings grief to God. God's anger is kindled and stirred up when there is sin. The people of God fail to realize that their sins were being done before the face of God. We think of our sins in that light. Every sin that we commit... And at the end of the day, finding ourselves going back to God and confessing our sins, the things we ought to do. But do we see sin for what it is? Do we see it as being offensive to God, opposing God before his face? You see, that's a different perspective. When we think of committing sin before a holy and righteous God to his face, it ought to lead us, lead us and guide us in such a way that we would want to say, no way. After all God have done for me? You see, we have to make our relationship personal with God. We must keep in our mind that God is overseeing all things and he's overseeing things not in a way to bash us over the head, but to lovingly guide us, correct us, direct us, because there are going to be times when we fail. But everything that the people of God did, according to the text, it was done before the face of the almighty, all-knowing, ever-present God. Because the reality is God sees beyond high death. We are fascinated by how well we can see high death. I mean, some of us ran out to buy new television because the, the picture was just so clear. You can see the sweat dripping on people's face as they played the games. We're fascinated by the football games, our favorite television shows. Uh, we're fascinated by the movies and how clear they are and the finest cartoons for the little ones. We're fascinated by how clear the picture is, but God sees beyond high definition. He sees in divine definition. In other words, everything you ever did in your life, God already knows. Hebrews 4.13 states, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Though God 
is able to see beyond close range into the heart of man, the Israelites failed to recognize his all-knowing power as the character of God. And because of this mischaracterization of God, it prevented them from repenting of their sins and turning to God. Instead, verse 3 states this about them. By their evil, they make the king glad and the princess by their treachery. According to verse 3, the people were committing evil acts just for the sake of gaining approval and favor with the higher-ups. They sought to make the politicians of their day happy so that they might impress them. They took pleasure in entertaining the king with their wicked deeds and the princes were delighted to hear their lies. For the people of God to stoop so low reveals how deceived they really were. They thought that This was a backdoor deal, but God already knew. Nothing is hidden from his sight. And because God sees and knows all things, he describes them metaphorically in verse 4. And there the text says, they are all adulterers. They are like a heated oven whose baker ceases to stir the fire from the kneading of the dough until it is leavened. You see, verse 4 describes the Israelites as adulterers and ovens that produce half-baked breads. Many of the ladies, many of you who enjoy baking fresh fresh bread, man, fresh bread is so good with butter. I just had a flashback. But bread is what I'm trying to say. Bread is good when it's done right. You see? And so many of you know, many of you who cook fresh bread, bake fresh bread, you know that one of the most important things you must do is babysit and watch that bread. Why? Because sometimes there needs to be some adjusting. The dough requires constant kneading. If the bread is under kneaded, it wouldn't rise. Or and you would have to you would have made if you were to go down this route and the bread is not kneaded enough, you would have made some unintentional flatbread. <laughs> See, bread requires one's undivided attention. Sometimes you might have to turn the fire down or to turn it up. If it's browning on one side, you might have to flip it. You might have to rotate it, it, get it in the right spot where the fire is. The reality is you have to watch the bread. The baker must not abandon the bread. However, the Lord describes his people as an oven that produces half-baked breads cooked on one side with uncooked dough on the other side. 
They were a people who neglected their responsibilities and instead tried to take a shortcut by committing spiritual adultery. There seems to be an example of this described in verses 5 through 7. They seem to be having a party of some sort, but in the end, it would only lead to their demise and destruction. Listen again to verses uh, 5 through 7. On the day of the king, the princes became sick with the heat of wine. He stretched out his hand with mockers. For with hearts like an oven, they approached their intrigue. All night, their anger smolders. In the morning, it blazes like a flaming fire. All of them are hot as an oven. And they devour their rulers, and their kings have fallen, and none of them calls upon me. You see what happens when sin is not watched, when it's abandoned, when it's not dealt with, when it's allowed to continue on and on. It leads to destruction. Immorality ran rampant before God. This is the picture here. They brought destruction upon their leaders because they failed to call upon the Lord their God, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They forgot that God was their helper. God was the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They forgot that God brought them through the Red Sea. They had forgotten the goodness of God. They were an immoral people practicing an immoral lifestyle. This describes the political scene of our day. Leadership in our culture glorifies immorality. It has no restraints. Evil is present at various levels from the top to the bottom. But Christians, we don't get involved. We don't involve ourselves with sin. We must acknowledge it. For what it is, straight from the pit of hell. We ought to hate sin because God hates it. If Christians should never cover up those who practice sin. We should never be a covering for those who practice it. Rather, we ought to expose it for what it is. If it doesn't happen and we fail to rely upon God, it would only lead to tragedy. Their demise is seen in verse 7 and is a reminder to us if we fail to call upon the Lord, this nation shall also be destroyed. Neglect in many cases eventually have led to destruction because as the text says, they never called upon the Lord. Maybe you're here today and you never called upon the Lord to be your Lord and your Savior. Or maybe you have called upon the Lord at some point, but you never saw real change in your life. Or maybe you went through the motions and did what was asked of you, but it was not your choice. Salvation is available for you 
today. What do I mean when I say call upon the Lord? In essence, it means to trust in, to believe in the Lord. The point, this points to the kinds of attitude one must have in order to be saved from sin, saved from hell, saved from the righteous wrath of God that will be brought upon those who disbelieve in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone has sinned before the face of the Almighty God and is deserving of God's righteous judgment. There are no good deeds or works that will save us. Purgatory won't work. It's unacceptable. Jesus Christ provided the only way we can be saved from our sins and God's righteous judgment. And so if you're here today and you want to be saved, believe in him and trust in him and turn from sin to a life of obedience. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins through the shedding of his blood. He was buried and he rose again from the grave with all power in his hand and is now seated at the right hand of God making intercessions for us. Believe in him and be saved. There are no works for you to do. Trust him. He did the work for you. Now you must respond to his works, respond to his message. For without Christ, there's no life. You're just a dead man walking. And it's just a matter of time before you are face to face with your maker. If you're If you've failed at any point in thought, word, or deed, you will be judged and disqualified from entering heaven, and instead you will be eternally separated from God to spend the rest of your days in hell. Choose life today. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This leads me to point number two. No one can escape God's punishment apart from Christ, verses 8 through 12. It's obvious that the Israelites are deceived. They are falling deeper and deeper into sin. But isn't that what deception does? It causes us to fall. Deception is a state of mind. Deceived people believe that they're okay when they're not. They believe that they are strong when they are weak. When deception is strong, truth will never be accepted unless God steps in. We see this with the people of God. They are so deceived that they've accepted the things that God hates and forbids. Listen to verses 8, 9, and 10. Ephraim mixes himself with the peoples. Ephraim is a cake not turned. 
In verse 8, it restates the metaphorical language in verse 4. Then it continues in verses 9 and 10 stating, Strangers devour his strength, and he knows it not. Gray hairs are sprinkled upon him, and he knows it not. The pride of Israel testifies to his face, yet they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all this. This describes Israel's Weakness. Simply stated, they are basically withering away. They are becoming frail and brittle. Often gray hair is associated with wisdom and honor. But in this case, gray hair has more to do with premature development. Israel's sins kept them from having true success. They were being influenced by the surrounding nations. Sin's deceptions have blinded them to the reality of their sins against God. They were being influenced by sinners. How about you? Are you in a crowd where you're being influenced by sinners are you pulling away because you serve a holy and righteous God? Have, have sin blinded you from the realities? Have sin blinded us from the realities of truth about God and about repentance? Are we just putting it away, assuming that it's not a big deal? Is it possible that our sins are causing us to have cataracts that are not allowing us to see God for who he is. We must be truthful to ourselves if we want to grow. We must rid ourselves of remaining sin. This is the daily practice. This is a constant practice. We ought to be taking inventory every day how we have glorified God, how we have honored God, but how we have sinned before the face of God. We must reject all forms of pride within us. According to verse 10, pride is a dangerous outfit. We aren't to put it on. We aren't to wear it. To put it off, the old man must die. Pride kept the Israelites from accepting God's plan for their lives. But we don't have to have, we don't have to be this way. All we have to do is repent. God receives sinners who repent. Sin destroys in so many ways, so we mustn't tarry long with it. We must find the source and destroy it immediately. We must confess our sins before God, repent, and turn to him. Spurgeon says, and I quote, a sinner is like a man possessed with a devil who cries. My name is Legion. For we are many, unquote. God chastises his people to correct them when they sin so that they might turn to him. And so no one will escape. 
No one will escape the chastisement of God, his correction, because the scripture teaches us those whom he loves, he disciplines. And so we ought to see the discipline of God with a different perspective. We ought to see it from a God who loves us. And we ought to make sure that we are correcting the things we need to correct and not pull away from God because we don't want to hear it. And so no one will escape. We see this in verse 11 and 12. Ephraim is like a dove, silly and without sense, calling to Egypt, going to Assyria. As they go, I will spread over them my net. I will bring them down like birds of the heavens. I will discipline them according to the report made to their congregation. And so you see why we can't allow sin to linger long. Here's another quote from Spurgeon. He states, and I quote, the more God loves you and the more you love God, the more expensive will you find it to sin. An ordinary sinner sins cheaply. The child of God sins very dearly. You see, when we sin, we're able to recognize what we have caused. The fact that he went to a cross to die for our sins. The fact that he was beaten with the cat of nine tails. The fact that he was scorned and talked about It was because of us. Our sin sent him to the cross. And so it's not cheap. It costs the Savior his life. And so therefore, we must put it away. If we value our relationship with God and consider it to be precious, then sin has to be taken seriously. This leads me to my final point, point three. Sin without repentance only leads to judgment. Verses 13 through 16. Woe to them for they have stayed from me. Destruction to them, for they have rebelled against me. I I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. They do not cry to me from the heart, but they wail upon their beds for grain, for wine. They gash themselves. They rebelled against me. Me. Although I trained and strengthened their arms, yet they devised evil against me. They return, but not upward. They are like a treacherous bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword because of the insolence of their tongue. This shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. The Lord restores sinners when there's true repentance. But he will not tolerate sin and rebellion. We see this reiterated in verse 13 as it was in verse 1. God provided for the Israelites. 
God helped the Israelites, but they rebelled and opposed God to his face. God's redemption is available for his people, but they are unwilling to repent. In order for any to have right relationship with God, repentance is necessary. The grace of God was made available to them, and it's made available to us. So trust the Lord today. Trust the Lord today. He can deliver you from all your sins. Repent and turn to him and be saved. The Israelites did not turn to God at this point because they strayed from God. They rebelled against the Lord. They spoke lies against him. They were not speaking from the depth of their hearts. Instead, they were deceived. Even when God had given them strength, they were in cahoots to commit evil in the presence of God, as if God cannot see what they're thinking, as if God doesn't know. They forgot and did not return to the Lord because of it. They were destroyed. I want to close with this, the same question I begin with. What sins cause you to be easily deceived. We all have different kinds of struggles. We all have different sins that we have to fight every day. But we must not put it off as being weak. For deception is strong. And it can lead us until we fall into sin on our knees. And so... Ask those that are close to you, do you know of anything that might be causing me to be easily deceived? Those who really know you. But remember this, we have the spirit of truth. Christ is full of truth. We don't have to keep living the same way we've lived in the past. We are a redeemed People. We have hope in Christ, our Lord and Savior. Yes, we will continue having battles, but we must remember that the war is already won. Therefore, we keep ourselves unstained from sin and the world. What I'm trying to say is live on, Christian. Be who you are in Christ. Be all that Christ wants you to be. And then you will have the life you so desire and never expected. For the scripture teaches us that all things work together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Live a purposeful life by trusting in the Savior. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we give you thanks for your word, the hope that we have in Christ. We're able to learn from those who have gone before us, but we find confidence in the grace that you have supplied, but we do not want to bat an eye to sin as if it does not matter. 
So help us, Lord, to have those same sensitivities that you have, that we might hate sin, that we might hate what you love and love, hate what you hate and love what you love. Lord, be glorified in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.